With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and joined alongside me this week after taking a week off from uh, being on the uh, injured reserve. He is back, ladies and gentlemen. It is Frank Miola. Frank, how are you feeling after taking last week off? Feeling much better. I am so happy and relieved to know that nothing was related to COVID. So, again, that's a win in and of itself, and I'm just glad to be back i'm i'm sure you held down the fort while i was gone i'm sure you had a great uh show and um i'm back and let's just have another great show yeah i uh really enjoyed talking to a wall last week i hope everyone else who downloaded last week's episode of the pensburg podcast uh enjoyed enjoyed my musings and my ramblings for the 30 minutes that i was able to provide whatever insight i could into what was happening with the Penguins last week. But Frank, you're back, which means we can have a much more dynamic conversation regarding the Penguins and what they've done over the last week. We'll hop right into it here and uh, look at the last couple of games the Penguins have played since our last podcast episode went out. Uh, They've played three games uh, in the time that, uh, since our last episode went out. Uh, They played two games against the Washington Capitals and most recently a game against the New York Islanders. We'll start on February 14th, Valentine's Day, a Valentine's Day matinee clash between Alex Ovechkin and his Capitals against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins, uh, a game in which the Penguins would win by a score of six to three. Uh, Really, it was by a score of four to three with two empty netters added on at the end. But uh, I... Frank, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this game. I think this was a game that was dominated primarily by uh, Jake Gensel and Brian Rust with uh, Gensel registering a goal and two assists, Brian Rust registering two goals. Uh, The Penguins have, they they take a lead into the first period or into the first intermission, a two to one lead. Then they take a four to three lead into the second intermission heading into the third period. They maintain that four to three lead over the Capitals. They they add on two empty netters at the end Uh, because this is the, 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 uh, the, furthest game removed from what the penguins have most recently done we don't have to spend too much time on this 
it's nice to see. Uh, it's nice to see. It was nice to see Brian Rust register two goals. Jake Cancel, like I said, a three-point night. Chris Letang had two assists. Sidney Crosby registered a goal and an assist. I believe one of those goals was an empty netter, however. But a goal is still a goal. Always nice to take two points. Really, in theory, it's a four-point affair because you're playing all of these divisional opponents. Uh, nice to take the win over the Capitals. Um uh, and the Penguins would improve to seven five and one on the season after this win. Uh, really, just a really nice. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't call it a complete victory. Uh, we'll get into more complete games that the Penguins had played later on. But uh, Frank, do you have any thoughts that you want to add to the Penguins six to three win over the Washington Capitals on February fourteenth? Yeah, I mean, you just said. It uh, wasn't their best game, especially to start. Uh, that's just been how it's gone all year long. They start out poor and slow, and then they, as the game gets on, goes on, they they seem to get better. And uh, not they, it hasn't always been the result you wanted, but they fight till the end. Um, but again, in this game, that top line was just rocking and rolling. I think with you know Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby, and you've got Brian Rust, which I don't know if he was on the top line for this game, but He's top two lines, whether it's with Malkin or with Crosby. Um, you got Brian Rust, who's just been a stalwart all, all year long for us. And uh, he continues to play well. And we'll talk about it a little, uh, coming up in a couple minutes uh, about the Islanders game here uh, tonight. But he just uh, continues to play well. And you've got Gensel and, and, and the best player in the world, Sidney Crosby, to help you out. So, again, not too much to add with this one, but. You know, it was a great win for the Penguins, and, and they moved to 3-0 three, three and o against the Capitals this year, which is a shock because Capitals are a very good team, and the Penguins aren't the greatest team right now. And the Penguins, and the Capitals would show, rather, the Capitals would show uh, why they are a team not to be messed with, even given, given their record in the second game that they would play on Tuesday, February 16th, uh, a game in which the Capitals would take pretty handily by a score of three to one. Uh, this game was pretty much dominated by the Capitals for, I would say, I don't know, 50 out of 50 out of the 60 minutes, uh, that the, this game was played in regulation. I think the Penguins started off rather strong, uh, and really, towards the end of the first period, going into that first intermission, uh, I thought there were some positives to take away. There wasn't no, no neither team scored. It was zero zero heading into that first intermission, so the game was pretty wide open. Like I said, the Penguins came out and played a really nice uh, opening ten minutes, and then really after that, everything just fell apart. Uh, the Capitals would take a, a two nothing lead in that second period, and they would really never look back. They would add a a a third goal. They would go up three to nothing in the third period. Zach Aston Reese would uh, score his second goal in as many games for the Penguins. Uh, he would get a little bit of a consolation prize there for the Penguins, but they would end up losing by a score of three to one to the Capitals. So they split this little two game mini series, one of the one of the many that they'll play throughout the season. Um, Frank, this, there really wasn't a ton of highlights and positives to take away from this game. And this, this game in particular will 
help launch us into the conversation that we're going to have in a couple of minutes in regards to how the Penguins are currently constructed and whether or not you or I believe that they can make a convincing deep run into the playoffs. But uh, before we get into that, Frank, do you have anything you want to add uh, regarding the Capitals' 3-1 to victory over the Penguins on Tuesday, February 16th? I just think the roles kind of got reversed here. Penguins normally start out slow. This game, they started out great. Um, they were getting pucks to the net. Obviously, they just weren't going in, but they were. They started out, like you said, the first 10 minutes. They played really good hockey, and then it just went south from there. Second period was not good. That's kind of when things unraveled. You had Gensel taking an early penalty, and um, the Penguins or the Capitals, who have the number one power play in the league, you can't do that against a team like that and they, of course they capitalized on that um so not too like you said not too much to add but again you can't make these mistakes against a very good capitals team a very good capitals team who has a number one power play you can't just take these dumb penalties and again they started out strong and then as the game went on in this one they just kind of fell apart yeah it was really falling apart and um they, yeah, they, they would fall apart and split that series, like I said, against the Capitals. And uh, really, I don't want to say the Penguins reached the rock bottom in this game, but I mean, it was really a lot more of the same. A lot of inconsistencies. I felt that the Penguins were rather dull and boring in this game. There, really, uh, there obviously wasn't a lot of action on the Penguins side because they wouldn't even register a goal to break the shutout in, until the third period with Zach Aston Reese's goal. But uh, uh, they would eventually find a way to right the ship uh, on uh, February 18th against the New York Islanders, where they, they would play arguably, in my opinion, Frank, their most complete game of the season, winning by a score of 4-1. to one. Uh, Sidney Crosby would get the scoring going, taking a deflection goal. The Penguins would go up 1-0. Uh, they, uh, they played with a lead heading into the first intermission, which is a rarity this season. The Penguins also played with a multi-goal goal lead this season, which has also become a rarity. But Sidney Crosby gets on the scoreboard. Teddy Bluger gets rewarded for his play. He gets on the scoreboard. Jason Zucker, who uh, we'll talk about momentarily, he registers uh, a goal and an assist. Brian Rust also registers a goal and an assist for the Penguins here. Um Frank, uh, this game, like I said, the Penguins, probably one of their more stress-free, probably one of the more dominating performances that the Penguins have played throughout this rather up-and-down season. Uh, do you have any thoughts you want to share on the Penguins' 4-1 to win over the New York Islanders? I think uh, Tristan Jari was a big uh, big kind of X factor in this game for me. I know that was really, wasn't really the question, but... I think he stood out for me in this game. Whatever he had pregame, whatever meal he had, he needs to have every other game because tonight he just played light. Not I wouldn't say lights out, but he played very, very well. And that might have been his best game of the year, and hopefully that just helps him going on the rest of the season. Brian Rust, again, can't say much too, too many bad things about him. He played very well. Uh, Brandon Tanev, I think that fight early on in the first period kind of helped set the tone for the uh, Penguins kind of who Brian Burke and Ron Hextall wants this team to be. They want them to be more physical. They want them to, I wouldn't say get, take more fights, but they want them to assert their dominance and kind of show them, you know, 
set the tone, and I think that's what Brand, uh, Brandon Tanev did early on there. And they never really looked back from that point on. You had Sidney Crosby getting his goal and just doing what he does. And, uh, again, Tristan Jari just played very, very well. Yeah, Frank, you brought up Tristan Jari, and I didn't uh, totally forgot to mention uh, his recent run of play. Uh, dating back to the first game against the Capitals on February 14th, uh, Jari has two wins in his last three games. On February 14th, uh, he finished the game with a 903 save percentage, stopping 28 out of 31 shots. Uh, on February 16th, he registered a 929 save percentage, uh, making 42 saves or uh, 39 saves, excuse me, on 42 shots faced. And uh, in this most recent game against the Islanders, he finished with a 969 save percentage, only letting up a goal. I think he could have easily deserved that uh, the shutout there. Uh, but Frank, yeah, to your point on Jari, he's really had a really nice run of form uh, in his last three games. And I think it's a big reason why the Penguins have maybe started to turn a corner a little bit. Uh, and Frank, with the recap segment out of the way, that's basically where I want to spend the majority of today's podcast is talking about some of the inconsistencies that have led to the Penguins' 8-6-1 record. They currently sit in fifth place in the Eastern Division. They don't sit in the place of a playoff spot right now. The last playoff spot belongs to the Islanders as things currently stand. But uh, there have been some... There have been a few encouraging signs over the last couple of games for the Penguins that uh, I want to get into. And we've already brought up Tristan Jari's play over the last couple of games. And um, so we'll analyze a little bit of the good and a little bit of the bad. Uh, and we'll start off with some of the more concerning things. I personally don't think that this team has registered enough consistency to where, you know, uh, you can turn on a Penguin game and you don't have to be... Uh, you don't have to be concerned with them going down and having to claw back for having to claw back in overtime or a shootout to get the extra point. I don't think we're at that place yet. If they can build on all of their successes that they had against the Islanders, uh, I, I think that will go a long way in in marking this point in the season as a little bit of a turning point. But I want to also look individually. We'll start with Jason Zucker and we'll go down the line. Uh, Jason Zucker, um, he got like he got on the score sheet, like we had mentioned in that game against the Islanders. In 15 games played this season, he has four goals, three assists for seven points, is an, and, a, and is a minus one uh, for playing for for being the glue man alongside of Guinea Malkin for the majority of the season. And Malkin is another player that we've touched upon in previous episodes of the podcast, and we'll touch upon him uh, again here in uh, in a few in a few moment in a few moments, but. Uh, seven points in 15 games for Zucker. Uh, he had a, a stretch, I don't know, probably five or six games ago where he scored a couple of goals. And ever since then, he's been very inconsistent, very quiet, not registering a lot on the score sheet. You know, maybe maybe this goal will help him maybe create a little bit of a streak. But seven points in 15 games for, uh, for a cemented second line winger alongside of Guinea Malkin. Uh, you expect more from Jason Zucker. Uh, and... Conversely, you obviously want to expect more from Evgeny Malkin, who has nine points in 15 games played this season. He did register two assists in the game against the Islanders, uh, which, 
again, that could also, you know, maybe lead to a, a bit of a positive uh, swing of play for Evgeny Malkin. His campaign, his 2021 campaign hasn't lived up to his expectations, I'm sure. And it hasn't lived up to many of the fans' expectations. Um, nine points in 15 games is not a terrible uh, is not a terrible stat line by any means. I'm sure a lot of NHLers would take nine points in 15 games so far in this crazy season, but you expect more obviously from a player of Evgeny Malkin's caliber. And for Zucker and Malkin, uh, for Zucker and Malkin uh, collectively, looking at those two players on that second line, uh, Frank, I think hopefully, like I said, all you can do is hope because you can't predict the future, but if this run of play recently is looked back maybe three or four weeks from now as a turning point, you know, maybe Zucker and Malkin look at this stretch of play as maybe the thing that finally kicked them into that higher gear that we've been expecting for them for some time. Yeah. I think you, you basically touched on a lot of things there. Um, Zucker, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when they acquired Zucker last year, he played on Crosby's line for most of the end of last year. Um, we had the you know the pandemic kind of paused the season, so things changed. But I, if if I'm not mistaken, I believe he had been with Crosby's line and he played well. And I would have liked him to like to see him start the start uh, his season on Crosby's line this year because of how well they played together last year. Um, but it kind of you kind of couldn't put everybody with Crosby. You had Gensel who came back from shoulder surgery. You have Brian Rust who's playing well. Um, so kind of Zucker kind of fell in that second spot with Evgeny Malkin. But at the same time, we also did not expect Malkin to have the season he's having. Um, as far as you said, nine points in 15 games, a lot of NHLers, like you said, would love to have that. Evgeny Malkin's not a lot of NHLers. He's one of the elite players in the NHL. He knows he needs to be better. Penguins fans needs, knows he needs to be better. Um, the question is, can he f- figure out a way to turn this around? I, he's he, he gets he he's in, too inconsistent. He's got a game where he'll score a goal, and then there's a game where he just you can't find him. So he needs to be more consistent. He needs to he needs to get to get his teammates more involved. I think you saw tonight, Jason Zucker, like we just mentioned, got the goal. Um, but I would have liked to see Zucker play with Crosby a little bit to start the year, kind of see how things went there, kind of see if they picked up where they left off last year. Um, and I think we'll touch on it here soon, uh, about switching up lines. And I believe they, uh, tonight they did switch up the lines for the game against the Islanders. Um, and, and you see how that worked out. They played their best game of the year. So I, I think. I want to say Malkin will figure it out. We have yet to see it, but as the season goes on, hopefully hopefully he can play play better and the team will figure it out. Yeah, I don't want to come on here every week and say, uh, you know, hopefully these last couple of games or those last couple of games, you know, I don't want to come on here every week and, and you know, continue to hope that Evgeny Malkin will turn it around and, you know, eventually come into his uh, dominant self that we've we've been so accustomed uh, uh, to seeing of him for the last several years, obviously. Um, but you know, for for the time being, um, there there are forty one games left for the Penguins, and uh, you know, I think 
at the 41 game mark of a re- of a typical regular season that's the halfway point of the season uh you know you you begin to uh you begin to take stock of what you have you begin to really get a sense of the team that you have and whether or not you're good enough you feel that you're good enough to make that extra push that extra playoff push uh i still don't think that we're at that spot uh, where we can make concrete determinations of what kind of team the Penguins are at this point. Uh, I, but the Penguins, with 41 games to go, you know, and with how how many games the Penguins have to play in such a sp- short span of time to conclude the regular season, uh, again, I, I don't want to keep saying that I, I, I hope that Evgeny Malkin picks it up. I hope that Jason Zucker can find more consistency. And uh, I don't want to keep coming on here and keep saying that, but it's something that we just have to keep saying because we haven't seen enough consistency from those two players in particular. And on the flip side, looking at uh, Sidney Crosby, Crosby has six goals and 13 points in 15 games this season. Um, I I think for a player of Crosby's standard, uh, you'd like to see uh, you'd like to see him well over a point per game this year. Look, I know he's 33 and, you know, maybe age is a factor. Maybe the crazy off season is a factor, whatever the case may be. But, you know, Crosby hasn't been, um, hasn't been his dominant self either. Uh, he registered an assist looking at his last five games. He registered one assist February 6th against the Islanders an assist against the Islanders on February 11th. He had a two point game a goal and an assist uh, Valentine's Day against the Capitals, like I mentioned earlier, he was held off the score sheet. Well, just about everybody was held off the score sheet in that three to one loss. Uh, the, the Penguins suffered at the hands of the Capitals on the 16th, and he got the scoring open tonight with uh, a, a nice, uh, a nice uh, deflection goal from a Casper Kapanen shot. So you'd like to think maybe a multi-point game here and a multi-point game there could uh, start to come Sidney Crosby's way. Uh, because quite frankly, they're going to need much more production from Sidney Crosby if this team has any hope of making it into the playoffs as it's currently constructed. And that's, again, when I started this segment, that's the one thing I wanted to talk about. And Frank, you kind of mentioned it there when talking about that game played against the Islanders. Uh, Mike Sullivan switched Casperi Kapanen from the second line to the first line. Brian Rust went down to the second line right wing spot with Evgeny Malkin and both Kapanen, Crosby, Kapanen, Malkin, and Rust were really, they all four of those players were, were rewarded with, uh, getting on the score sheet. And all four of those players I thought had pretty decent to strong games, all things considered, which led to obviously what I called the Penguins most complete game of the season so far. So like you said, Frank, should, should we consider, moving Jason Zucker up to the up to the first line to play with Crosby move Jake Gensel down to the second line to play with Malkin I, I want to see more experimentation from Mike Sullivan and uh, maybe the four to one win against the Islanders will cause him to step back and reevaluate things from a, from a much broader scope uh, you know he found success with Kapanen on Crosby's wing and and Rust on Malkin's wing in that game, but I I still wouldn't be afraid if I'm Mike Sullivan to 
experiment more with, with these players. You know, why can't Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin play more together? Why can't Malkin play on Sid's left wing and experiment more there when you have two of the most dynamic players the game's ever seen on one line? You know, how do you defend that as the opposition? Uh, what, I mean, I mean, Jake Gensel on Evgeny Malkin's line is not uh, something that has never been done before. I think Jake Gensel would have success and has had some previous success with Evgeny Malkin dating back to last year. Um, you know, like you said, move Jason Zucker up to play with Crosby. I want this experimentation because in the grand scheme of things, you know, the Penguins, in my view, are still pr- pretty radically inconsistent, all things considered. They'll have... Uh, a, a great game like this against the Islanders or they'll win six to three against the Capitals. But you need to see that on a more consistent basis, especially in this season when all of these games matter so much. And it's in theory, uh, a four point game against all of these divisional opponents. Why not experiment more and get freaky? You know, I'd rather them do that now at this point in the season than do it in, do it in late April, early May when they, the Penguins could be fighting for their playoff lives, and uh, you know they're, they're they're clawing it out with the Capitals and the Islanders and whomever else it may be fighting for that last playoff spot in the East Division. But uh, you know, I, I, Mike Sullivan, for whatever reason, has not been one to um, you know rapidly experiment with his line combinations uh, when it comes to guys like Crosby and Malkin or Gensel and Malkin, those kinds of things. So, in my view just experiment. I know I've said experiment a thousand times, but what's there to lose? If it doesn't work, then put Gensel back on, uh, put Gensel back on Crosby's wing because we know that's tried and true. And we know you're going to get production from those two into uh, those two specifically. But, uh, in my opinion, Mike Sullivan has nothing to lose at this point in the season. Uh, and that's only to when talking about the top six, Frank. I know uh, I'm taking up all your mic time, Frank. So I'm gonna uh, finish gonna this have up to with some time here. Yeah. I know, I know. So I'll, I'll finish this up and I'll make one last statement and say uh, the one of the other reasons why I think the Penguins are so inconsistent is because I don't think they're getting enough from the bottom six. And not mentioning, uh, you know, without mentioning. Uh, Asked the Aston Reese Bluger Tanev line because Mike Sullivan also knows that that's a tried and true combination. He can go to the well for that Lions defense and apparently goal scoring because Zach Aston Reese and Teddy Bluger have been on the score sheet quite frequently in recent games. But that line has been has come to be trusted for its defense. I think the the Aston Reese Bluger Tanev line is more suited for a fourth line than it is a third line because of their def- more defensive centric responsibilities rather than their offense. But then that leaves that that uh, third line with Mark Jankowski or Colton Sevior or um, you know Sam Lafferty. I know in, I know right now uh, Aston Reese Bluger and Tanev are acting as that third line. But what I'm saying is I believe that line is more suited for fourth line duties. But what do you do? How do you change that third line? I think the only way to change the third line is to either you, you, I think the new general manager in in uh, um, in um, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, if Brian Burke is responsible for any player personnel decisions, I think you know I'd be calling around the league, kicking some tires on a couple of players because that bottom six is filled with a bunch of 
and I, I've said it before on Pennsburg, and I'll say it again here on the podcast, they're filled with a bunch of meh players, a bunch of average to below average players that aren't doing anything. They're not moving the needle. So, uh, Frank, I know I've talked for probably what feels like an hour at this point. So I'll let you get I'll let you get uh, your word in here and what you think the Penguins should do in regards to whether it be line experimentation or trading for some players or, um, you know, calling some players up from the minor leagues or whatever, just to find some juice and in return, find consistency for this team. There's a lot to unpack there, Garrett. You spoke for quite a quite a while. I there's a lot of experimenting going on there. That was that was good. Um, but just touching back with um, experimenting with lines, I, I'm going to say that word again. But uh, just I guess I'll go tinkering with the lines. Um, I mean, we again, like I said earlier, we saw it tonight. Uh, Sullivan changed up the top two lines there. Put Kapanen, moved him up to the uh, first line, put Russ down on Malkin's line, and we really saw it, it paid dividends. Uh, Kapanen got the assist early on Crosby's goal. Um, Zucker got a goal. Russ does what he does. Um, so, again, I like you said, I just want to see more of the tinkering with lines. Maybe bring, maybe like I said earlier, bring Zucker back up to the first line. Because here's the difference between Crosby and the season Crosby's having and the season Malkin's having. Neither of them, by their own accord, would say they're having a great season. But Crosby, the difference is Crosby gets his teammates involved. Malkin's more of a puck-dominant player. He likes to have the puck. He likes to shoot the puck. That was the ultimate demise of Phil Kessel being on the Penguins, amongst other things. Malkin and him just did not get along, and that was one of the things. Malkin is a puck dominant player and everybody in Pittsburgh knows it. And and if you don't, then you just don't watch Penguins hockey. So that's the difference between the season Crosby's having and the season Malkin's having the, the line of Crosby and the line of Malkin. The, the top line has just played wonderful this year. Um, whether it has been Gensel, whether it has been rust Crosby, he'll get his point. Like you said, it would be great to have him, uh, score more than a point per game, but he is getting his points where he can. Um, just and then you see Malkin's second line, and they they've been very inconsistent this year. So again, just tinkering with the lines, maybe seeing who you can put with Malkin. Maybe they can build some chemistry. Russ, it, wherever you put Russ, it seems like he'll just score and he'll just do his thing. So maybe having Russ on that second line with Malkin kind of kind of help will help Gino out a little bit, and he can maybe find that scoring touch and, you know, get, get going a little bit. Um, as far as the bottom six, as you mentioned, uh, the Zach Aston Reese, Teddy Bluger and Brendan Tanov line, that has been our best, one of our best lines of the year. Um, you mentioned they're more of a fourth liner, fourth line because of the, uh, they're more defensive minded. I think, as you mentioned, how are they going to get a true third line? Are you going to rebuild it all in trades? Let's just remind everybody the players that they have down there on the current fourth line are not players that the current regime of Brian Burke and Ron Hextall. These are Jim Rutherford's players. So does Brian Burke and Ron Hextall, do they go out and, like you said, kick the tires on some players and, and just bring in three new players to play on that fourth line, if you will? We will, we will have yet to see. Um, you mentioned is Brian Burke more on the personal or the uh, player side of 
the personnel uh, department, or is going to leave that up to Ron Hextall? I don't, I don't really know where Brian Burke kind of fits into this, and I wasn't a part of the show last week to talk about it, but I, the, the hiring to me, and maybe you touched on it last week of Brian Burke, was kind of a head-scratcher. Nobody really saw it coming. I don't remember the last time the Penguins actually had a true president of, I believe that's his title, president of hockey operations or something like that. Um, so the, the hiring itself was kind of a head-scratcher. And if you listen to his press conferences and uh, him talking, he kind of wants to make this team more of that gritty, more of that tough, grinded-out kind of hockey team. So those are the players he goes and targets. Uh, we'll have yet to see uh, what Ron Hextall and Brian Burke do here. But there's a lot – there's a lot of – there's a, a still a lot of unknowns with this team, and and we'll see as we get closer to the trade deadline what what happens here and what changes are made. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, Frank, the 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 unknowns that you mentioned there right at the tail end of that, uh, I think there are still a lot of unknowns because of all of the points that we've combined to mention so far regarding how the roster is currently constructed. But, you know, to play devil's advocate, yeah, Mike Sullivan can experiment and see what works and what doesn't. But at the same time, it's not like the Penguins have a ton of time to really find an identity at this point. They've played 15 games so far with 41 remaining. So the Penguins... Look, I'm not going to obviously say that the season is going to ride or die and hinge on what the Penguins do in their next five games or whatever. That's obviously ludicrous. But, you know, I, they have to take into consideration that, um, you know, a chunk of the season has already been played. There isn't a ton of time compared to what there would have been in a regular 82-game schedule. Uh Never mind the fact that you're again you're playing all of these divisional opponents, so all of these games mean a lot more for points in the standings. Uh, so the Penguins have to uh, kind of retool on the fly, I think. And I think you used the the, ter the term retooling once earlier in the show. Uh, I think uh, Hextall and Burke are going to have to be responsible for retooling this team by the deadline. It's going to be a difficult challenge, I think, uh, trying to retool, especially this bottom six, because I'm not sold on this bottom six whatsoever, besides the the the, the Bluger, Aston Reese, Tanev line. We know that works. Uh, we've, we have ample evidence of that line uh, being a threat against the opposition dating back to last season. So I don't think that has to be touched. As it relates to the, as it relates to that third line, again going back to that third line to try and take some of the stress off of Malkin, your Malkins, your Crosbys, your Rusts, your Zuckers, your Gensels to tr to carry that load. You know, will how will Hextall and Burke if if they combine to form that tag team to bring in players by the trade deadline? What is this team going to look like? Is it going to be more physical, like you alluded to, uh, because of how Brian Burke? likes to typically operate uh, 
control his teams from his past dealings? Is it going to be more physical? Are we going to see more speed and skill like we did in 2015, 16 and 16, 17? That remains to be seen. And it'll be something that obviously we touch upon uh, as the season progresses and we get closer to the trade deadline at the end of February or, or, or no, not the end of February. Excuse me. I believe the trade deadline is at the end of March. Let me see. Well, I was I was off by quite a bit. Monday, April 12th is the 2021 trade deadline. Forgive me. Uh, this entire season is obviously uh, crazy, a bunch of crazy dates. Uh, but the trade deadline, the middle of April. Uh, so there are there's two months away, basically, until we hit the trade deadline. Two months for the Penguins to try and figure out, can they sink or swim with this team? As things currently stand, a bit of a mixed bag, and the Penguins are on the outside looking in. This is where I thought uh, a, a lot of people, including myself, thought where the Penguins would be when uh, when the the regular season was just beginning. They would be on the outside looking in, trying to fight for that last playoff spot in the East Division. But uh, it's going to be very interesting, Frank. Uh, to see what kind of what are some of the first moves that Ron Hextall will make as the new general manager of the Penguins, uh, with a, a little under two months to go before the NHL's trade deadline. Yeah, you kind of mentioned earlier um, what the identity of this team is. We know Jim Rutherford wanted this team to be fast. They wanted them to be more skilled. Um, they won two Stanley Cups back to back with that kind of identity. Now you see Brian Burke, Ron Hextall. Uh, they're more the, especially Brian Burke. He run, as you mentioned, he runs his teams more the grinded out, physical, in your face kind of hockey. I don't know how I feel about that, you know, personally because I mean I know the last two Stanley Cup champions in Washington. They're they're the ultimate physical team, and then you had St. Louis who. You know they're not overly physical, but they uh, they have some grind grinders on their team as well. You know, and I believe Ryan Burke actually mentioned that, mentioned that in one of his press conferences when he first got hired by the Penguins about the last two teams being Stanley, uh, the last two Stanley Cup teams being more physical um, rather than being fast. I mean, to me, that kind of hockey you get worn out, you get worn down, and you saw when the Penguins were doing their cup runs, they went through Washington twice. And Washington, like I just mentioned, is, is that ultimate physical grinded-out team. And we kind of tired them down by the end of the series. And and that was kind of the, the ultimate – that was their demise. And, you know, I, I'm more of the if – if it ain't broke, you know, don't touch it kind of thing. I mean, it's kind of broke right now, but – Right now, we're we're inconsistent as a team, and I don't know how I feel about just changing it up, all, you know, on the fly. But that's kind of the leadership that we have right now, and we'll see where this team goes. Yeah, like we said, we'll, we'll have to wait and see where this team goes. But where we are going to go, Frank, we are going to go into our mailbag segment. And uh, for those interested in listening, if you want to participate in this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account at Pennsburg Pod. Every week, we'll send out a mail, we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in the mailbag. Uh, no question is off limits. 
We love getting all sorts of crazy and wacky questions, whether they be hockey-related or non-hockey-related. We're happy to entertain those who take the time to listen to this podcast uh, and happy to hear their thoughts and opinions on what's happening around the rest of the NHL. So uh, we'll kick off this episode, this mailbag segment here with uh, another question or comment, I guess, from Commander Kern. Uh, Commander Kern goes on to say, I enjoy following John Tortorella as much as possible. As funny as he is in the media, we have to acknowledge he has also he al- he also has the craziest situations happen to him. The six five loss to the Hurricanes with a bad point given away is a terrible look for the NHL in general. And uh, he went on with a little PS. I wanted to comment on this last week, but we had the huge management change, and that was much more relevant. Well, thanks for your comment, your random comment, Commander Kern. Uh, I am not as big of a John Tortorella fan as much as you must be. Uh, I find I find him to be whether it's uh, whether it's his shtick or not. I find him to be a little bit uh, abrasive and you know unnecessarily tough on his players and likewise the media. Uh, I don't know why he has to play this kind of tough guy persona or, you know, the no BS persona from Tortorella. Um, but, I mean, we know who he is at this point. You know, he's no stranger to the NHL for being around for as long as he has and having the success that he's had. I'm not going to take that away from him either. But um, I, it would, going back to what you were saying regarding the, the craziness with the Hurricanes, yeah, I I, I think that 6-5 that to five loss it was... Uh, really left a bad taste in the mouth of the NHL, their officiating crew, the, the the replay crew, everyone who was working in the replay center in Toronto. Um, you know, it's kind of been uh, it's kind of been done and dusted since it happened. I think it happened um, like February sixth or seventh. Uh, that that controversial game in which the Hurricanes won, um, but. Yeah, I, I I was with Tortorella, and I was with the rest of the Blue Jackets there, with um, uh, with that with that third period opening up at even strength, and you know that that penalty, um, that penalty being negated. So um, yeah, it was a bad look for the NHL at that point. I think th- this goes back to having review replay review in all sports. You know, even when you want to look at the NFL or Major League Baseball, um, you know, there have been countless essays, I'm sure, written on the the topic of replay review in sports. And with humans operating the replay review center, humans communicating to other humans, mistakes are bound to happen. I don't think anybody is out here uh, saying that this should be a 100% perfect uh, 100%, 1,000 batting average kind of situation. I mean, in theory, it should be, you know, trying, you want to obviously get all of the calls correct. Um, but, you know, humans, humans talking to other humans in the, in the, the, the replay center in Toronto, mistakes are bound to happen over all of these, uh, all, all of these leagues that initiate replay review. So yeah, it was a pretty bad look for the NHL in general and as a whole with, uh, you know, how badly the, the replay operator and the rest of the league screwed, screwed that one up. Um, but you know, they always say in sports, 
they use the next man up analogy. Well, it's the next game game up for the for the the uh, Blue Jackets, and that's basically been the case uh, since this happened earlier in the month. You know, I I'm sure Tortorella privately, I'm I'm sure he's probably still somewhat peeved that it happened. You know, if this comes back to cost the Hurricanes a playoff spot by two points or one point or two points or whatever, you know, then I'm sure we might look back on it more with uh, heightened awareness. But, you know, it, it is what it is when you're dealing with some of the uh, human-made inaccuracies that come with replay review. Yeah, I'm going to keep my answer pretty short. Um, you know, as far as Tortorella is concerned, yeah, he's kind of obnoxious. He's kind of, as you mentioned, unnecessarily tough on not only his players but the media. Um so not too much to add. I'm not a big Tortorella fan myself. Um, so not too much to add there. As far as the it being a bad look for the NHL, you know, I didn't really see the play. I, was it a clear-cut offsides call? With how everyone's reacting, it must have been, and they just must have missed it on replay. Again, I didn't see the play. I didn't see it happen. Um, but as you mentioned, it's human-to-human um, communication, mistakes are bound to happen we've seen it in all sports we've seen it in all sports that have replay um, mistakes will happen they don't get every call correct um, but the calls that they do get correct are why we have replay so there's more good with replay than there is not um, but again as you mentioned human to human communication and mistakes are bound to happen so Again, I didn't see the play. I don't know if it was a clear-cut offside call or it should have been a clear-cut offside call. Um, but just judging by everyone's reaction, it, it should have been. And again, it's nobody's. It's is it anybody's fault? I'm assuming, yeah, Toronto and the people in Toronto and uh, the NHL. I believe they did come out and uh, own up to the mistake that it should have been called offside. But again, not everybody's perfect. Mistakes will happen, and we saw that here. All right, our our next question comes from Cole Del Vecchio, who asks, you can remove one rule from hockey and add one rule to hockey, no matter how crazy. What would you subtract or add? Uh, Cole, I, I want to say that I took some time my, myself personally to really think about this and how I would change the rule book. And I came up with... Um, I came up with a couple of things that I want to uh, that I want to talk about here with this question. The first thing being, um, I would allow the referees to eliminate a penalty call after huddling, huddling up, or uh, you know maybe giving a thirty second video review, similar to what the NFL does. If you're if you're an NFL fan or watch the NFL on a regular basis, you can see that after discussion with uh with other referees and uh th- they they have the ability to pick up the flag and not give a penalty to a team when they feel like after gathering with all of the the officials they feel like you know what the, what we threw the flag uh we were not we were not in the right position to th- throw the flag we'll pick it up and we will resume play um whether you know whether that be just re- resuming play in the neutral zone just as a bit of a uh, a bit of a a balanced thing to do instead of giving one team an advantage in in 
a particular end of the ice in the face-off circle, allow the refs to huddle up and instead of going forward with a penalty, because because if you look at replay, and again, this goes back to replay, if you look at replay, I mean, I'm, a lot of fans will talk about this on a nightly basis, probably several times a game. They'll say, oh, that wasn't a penalty. Oh, what a terrible call that was. That shouldn't have been called. Give the referees the ability to huddle up. Like I said, maybe do a 30-second a 30 second video review and give them the ability to say on the microphone, no penalty will be awarded. The faceoff will be in the neutral zone and drop a puck there. Secondly, uh, if a team is on a power play at the end of a period, I want them to begin the following period. Or if it's at the end of the third period, begin the overtime period in that team with the power play in their offensive zone. Uh, I think, um, you know, dropping the puck at center ice when a team is on a power play, um, you know, you could say, oh, that's not really that big of a deal. I think if, you know, I've always been a big, I've always been in favor of trying new ways to try and increase scoring to generate fan interest. I think this could be a way to generate scoring, having more face-offs in the offensive zone for both teams when you have the man advantage. If you win the face-off, take the puck back to the D-man, and the D-man just rips a one-timer, or they do a D-to-D pass, and the other D rips a one-timer. Or if you if you win the face-off, you're able to get your power play set up in your proper alignment, and you know then you're able to take more shots while you're while you're set up after the faceoff win in the offensive zone, uh, that would be another thing that I would like to see initiated too. And for a change, for something that I would subtract from the rule book, I would let the goalies play the puck wherever they want. And I, I wrote here in my notes slash eliminate the trapezoid, and that would in turn eliminate the delay of game penalty that comes with goaltenders handling the puck in the corners. Eliminate the trapezoid altogether. Eliminate all of that. Let the goalies be free to handle the puck, you know, in that complete space, un, you know, uninterrupted. Uh, I think that would be that would be a, a little bit more chaotic uh, because, you know, goalies are only allowed to handle that puck in that specific trapezoid. They're not allowed to touch it uh, in those other two parts that. Uh, on the sides that will create the trapezoid. So eliminate the trapezoid altogether, allow goalies free reign behind their net to handle the puck. That would be what I would change. Frank, do you have anything you wanted to add uh, as it relates to Cole's question about changing the rule book? As far as what I would subtract, it kind of goes with the delay of game uh, penalty that you kind of mentioned. Um, not so much the goaltender aspect of it, but um shooting the puck over the glass. I, I think that's kind of a dumb penalty that that happens. and but It's never done intentionally. And if you think about it, if the puck goes over the glass, but it touches any part of the glass, it's not a delay game call. But if you just, if it goes over the glass, you know, you know, on the fly without touching anything, it's a delay of game. And I just never understood that. So it's got to touch the glass for it to not be delay game. I mean, again, the players are not intentionally trying to just shoot it out willy-nilly, but, I mean, just a minor uh, a minor adjustment is of if it touches the glass or if it doesn't touch the glass. Same thing if it goes out of play into one of the team's benches. It's not a, a penalty or anything. I, I, just, I just think that rule kind of needs to go. I think it's kind of stupid. 
Um, it kind of wastes time and kind of prolongs the game a little bit. But as far as that's what I would subtract, something that I would add or change, uh, I think extending overtime, um, the three-on-three overtime, I'm, I'm a big fan of since they changed it from five on or four on four, I believe it was to three on three. Uh, I think you get to see the best players in the world kind of just go out there, you know, with more space on the ice and kind of just fly around there. And you, you got guys like Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, kind of just flying around the ice doing what they do. And I think five minutes is kind of short, you know, it doesn't always go. It doesn't always, uh, go the full five minutes sometimes it ends quickly with how much space is on the ice but if they do need the full five minutes I, i'd like to see it just extended a few couple more minutes seven eight minutes it doesn't have to be like 10 minutes or nothing ridiculous but i think five minutes is kind of short and i would just like to see you know more more of that uh in overtime more of the three on three kind of see best players from one team going against the best players from another so that's kind of what i would add or change and then as far as again, what I would subtract, it's that stupid delay of game over the puck or shooting the puck over the glass thing. Eliminate the shootout and just keep it a continuous um a continuous overtime session at three was, on three. I wasn't gonna say eliminate the shootout because I do kind of like seeing again when you got guys like Crosby, McDavid, you kind of just see them one on one with a goalie. I mean that's always exciting too. But the three-on-three three is, again, exciting as well. So I wasn't really going to say eliminate the shootout. If it had to go to a shootout after the eight minutes or whatever would get extended to, then then fine. But you know, I just think maybe extend over time a little longer. This can be a conversation for another day, another podcast episode. But uh, I am a fan of the English Premier League and uh, how, how they do their point system. If you follow the Premier League, it's three points for a win, one point for a tie, and zero points for uh, a loss. And I think, I mean, this would be, like I said, this is another time for another conversation for another day. Uh, having that ability to change the uh, change the and change the schedule the the point system, and maybe adopt a, a Premier League esque point system that uh, eliminates the loser point that it's that it's called the loser point from losing a shootout or an overtime period and if uh if you can't score if the game ends in a tie both teams get one point if you know obviously if one team wins they take the three points if one team loses they obviously get zero i think i would be in favor of something like that i think that's pretty radical i don't know how many people are in favor of seeing something like that happen in the nhl that kind of point system but uh that was just something that came to mind off the top of my head as you were finishing that uh finishing that question um but uh, frank do you want to move on to question number three yeah all right uh fry time is here he he asks, is there any way to build a fourth line around Jared McCann when he comes back? And uh, well, speaking of speaking of Jared McCann and Fry Time's question, uh, this was posted uh, 12 hours ago, so yesterday, February uh, 18th. Jared McCann began solo skating Thursday and is progressing in his recovery. It was the first time that McCann got onto the ice since suffering his lower body issue against the Islanders on February 6th. 
the Penguins' third line is rolling with the return of Zach Aston Reese. McCann could find himself relegated to the fourth line when he is cleared to return. That was taken from uh, that was taken from CBS Sports. Uh, so this kind of goes hand in hand with your question, Fry Time. Um, at this point, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier. What do you have to lose? Uh, you know. I have already stated that I think the Bluger Tan of Aston Reese line should be the default, the actual fourth line, which would leave, which would only leave McCann either uh, in that third line center role or on the wing. Now, depending on what Mike Sullivan wants to do, is he going to keep deploying Bluger, Aston Reese, and Tanev as the as the go-to third line, it's a possibility. Possibility, which means, uh, which means McCann, when he does get cleared to come back, he could be anchoring that fourth line. Uh, what do you have to lose? You know, trying to experiment again. Go going back to that tinkering or experimentation with the lines. The problem is, who are you experimenting with? Where are you, who are you putting Jared McCann with? You're putting him with the likes of Colton Sevior, Sam Lafferty, Drew O'Connor. Uh, you know, these are guys that haven't moved the needle. And in the case of O'Connor, he's only played a handful of NHL games. So I'm not going to focus in too much on him, but CV and Lafferty, you know, you know what you're getting with those two players on the wing and, you know, they don't move the needle in my opinion. So plotting those two guys with, with, uh, Jared McCann on the third line or fourth line or whatever you want to call it in the bottom six, I don't know how much good that would do. We would kind of be back to a square one situation and it goes back to again uh that player personnel the decision making i think one of the only ways you change this team and you change the bottom six is going out and acquiring different faces in 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 trades i think that's the only way you can really get um change the bottom six for the better in my opinion is jared mccann one of those players that's traded the other way have the penguins you know have they given up on their uh, on their Jared McCann experiment after, you know, some pretty large inconsistencies in play. Maybe that's a possibility. Maybe he and a Marcus Pedersen uh, or a Mike Matheson get traded in a package deal for uh, um, a much more uh, competent bottom six forward. You know, all of these possibilities are on the table. But going back to your original question, can you build a fourth line when McCann comes back with McCann? Yeah, I think you can. Uh, no pun intended there. I think you can build a fourth line with Jared McCann, but you know, are, are you going to get tangible offensive production from that line? I, I, I just don't see it given what we've already seen at this point in the season. Yeah. I mean, to answer the question directly, yes, I, I believe they can build a fourth line around McCann. Um, again, I'm just going to agree with you because you, you pretty much took all of my points, but I believe going out and just acquiring, uh, seeing who you can acquire, Brian Burke, Ron Hextall, see what they can get for the bottom six. Um, because as you mentioned earlier, they're kind of meh players right now that we have down there, kind of unknown, like we don't really know them. Um, so seeing what we can get via trade and kind of build that around Jared McCann, wherever, whatever line, third or fourth line, wherever they end up, uh, wherever, I guess, the tan of uh, Aston Reese and um, Bluger line heads up if they actually do end up ever moving down to the fourth line or if they just stay on the third line. Um, 
see where McCann goes. He'll be in the bottom six either way, and then we'll see where we can get for him and kind of build around him. But with the current uh, structure that we have, I, I don't believe there's much scoring or much – I don't believe there's much depth down there to begin with. Um, so kind of just going out and, as you mentioned, maybe putting McCann in a package deal with the likes of, you said, Pedersen or uh, maybe maybe uh, kind of just throw this out there, maybe P.O. Josephs, kind of throw his name out there, see what, see what you can get for him. And, um, he's played well to, since he's been called up from the taxi to us. So kind of just play with, you know, play with it a little bit and see what you can get. But, again, it's kind of math players right down, down there right now. We'll just have to see how they can upgrade in the best possible way. All right, and our last question comes from Cliff Paul, and he asks, uh, can we talk about how ridiculous and nonsensical these Sidney Crosby trade rumors are? Not a chance it happens financially or for optics. He's a lifer, and I'd bet Gino is too. Yeah, I, I, this goes back to the Penguins obviously not starting off on the hottest foot to begin their season. Obviously we've talked at great length in this episode alone about the inconsistencies, both individually and team wise that the Penguins have uh, faced this year. And all of a sudden there's rumors largely created by Canadian media, Canadian media members saying that I've heard rumblings that maybe Sidney Crosby, uh, is going to be traded out of Pittsburgh if the Penguins don't pick it up and and uh, you know ch- change their change their play and change how they're playing, and uh, Pittsburgh's going to enter a rebuild a lot faster than originally anticipated. Sidney Crosby is not going to be traded anywhere. He is going to remain a Pittsburgh Penguin for however long he wants to remain a Pittsburgh Penguin. Uh, he's not going to be traded to Colorado to play with his best friend, Nathan McKinnon. He's not going to be traded to the Boston Bruins. He's not going to be traded in the division, into the, into the regular division. He's not going to be traded to the Carolina Hurricanes. He's not going to be traded anywhere. And my money is on Evgeny Malkin finishing his career in Pittsburgh as well. I don't think he is going to be traded. I think, uh, I think Mario Lemieux, whether publicly or privately, has stated that he wants Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin to finish their careers in a Pittsburgh Penguins uniform. I take him at his word. Uh, and if you want my personal opinion, I think all of these trade Rumors of Crosby are just absolutely ridiculous. I think it's Canadian media members just trying to find something to talk about to fill airtime. And, uh, you know, it comes down from down from Canada across the border. And, you know, all of the all of these national hockey media outlets pick up on it. Of course, they have to have something to talk about. And, you know, the Penguins with how shaky of a start they got off to to begin the season oh of course it makes sense to trade Sidney Crosby uh the Penguins you know their windows finally shut uh it's time for Crosby to you know experience uh experienced uh playing alongside his friend Nathan McKinnon and they'll go win a Stanley Cup in in Colorado or he'll um he'll get traded to Montreal because he grew up watching the Canadians uh, when he was a child, I think it's just a bunch of baloney that the, there's no truth to it whatsoever for however long Sidney Crosby wants to play hockey with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, that is how long he will remain a Pittsburgh Penguin. Yeah, I, I believe these rumors are, are BS as well. Um, Crosby's a lifer again, as you mentioned, 
he'll be a penguin for however long he wants to be a penguin. And there was a report, and I can't remember who wrote it and where I read it, but if Crosby were to ever get traded, it would kind of be his decision to kind of help out the Penguins, you know, in the long run. Basically, he knows his trade value, and if he was trying to help out the Penguins, he knows what they can get for him. I just thought it was a whole a whole bunch of baloney, and you know, if if anybody is going to get traded between Crosby and Malkin, it would probably be Malkin. Again, I don't like you mentioned. I'm not putting my money on either of them getting traded. I believe they both finished their career in Pittsburgh, but with just with the trade rumors that Malkin has garnered over the past few off seasons, ever since they kind of you know the Phil Kessel rumors had started. So um, again, I, I don't believe either player will get traded. I, I, you mentioned it's just Canadian uh, media getting things going. Um, it just doesn't make sense for the Penguins to really trade Crosby right now, Crosby and Malkin for that matter. They're they're trying to. Build the team, not break it down. There's no reason to break it down right now. They have a winning record. They're still fighting for a playoff spot. So there's no reason to panic right now and, and no reason to trade either guy. No, it's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Um, but like I said, again, it's it's Canadian media just trying to find something to fill airtime. There's, I don't think there's any truth to it whatsoever. Like you said, if, if Crosby is going to be traded, it'll be his decision to make. And uh, his decision alone, uh, he's going to remain in Pittsburgh, like we said, for however long he wants to remain in Pittsburgh. But, uh, Frank, that will do it for uh, this episode of the Pennsburg podcast, unless you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here. Uh, I hope Mark andre Fleur is on this team by the end of the year. Spoiler, spoiler. Uh, well, uh, you don't go holding your breath for Mark andre Fleury. Uh, I don't think he'll be on this team. Uh, he, he, he might retire as a Penguin, but um, he's not gonna, I don't think he's going to be on this team. They shouldn't trade Crosby or Malkin. And, and I don't think they're going to trade for Fleury either, but we're out of time. Well, uh, we're out of time. <laughs> but uh, no, for, for Frank Miola, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Pennsburg Podcast. And we will see you next week.